Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman. Thanks very much for your company. Thanks very much for downloading this podcast. Make sure that you spread it, uh, tell everybody about it, and also subscribe. It's free to subscribe as it is to listen to the podcast. And that's all thanks to the sponsorship we have of Charles Louis, which is a group of uh, advisory business involved in development finance, mortgage advice, and estate agency. They started out life as a simple mortgage company. They offered buy-to-let, first-time buying and moving house mortgages. But they now provide support for the whole property transaction process, including an independent estate agent and an expert commercial financial team and a renowned mortgage team. More importantly, uh, Dave, who is effectively the CEO of Charles Louis, is a City fan. And uh, he, in his wisdom, has decided to, uh, to carry on sponsoring the podcast, for which I'm very grateful and he, being a blue, would love to hear from you if you have any issues about moving home or selling. So have a look at the website, charleslouis.co.uk, ring the number, give him a call, ask for Dave, and see where you go from there. And I'm, I can only highly recommend Dave as a very sound man. Now, the three guests that I have um, on the podcast today, two of them need no introduction. One is Harlan, who... Uh, I've tried so desperately to get rid of off the podcast, but he keeps turning up, <laughs> keeps coming back, and here he is again. <laughs> so we've got Harlan. We've also got Paul, um, who has uh, obviously been a regular for a long time. But we have a special guest today, and that is Roy Bailey, who uh, was the physio of Manchester City. And the reason I've asked Roy to come on tonight, and he'd be welcome to come back, by the way, doesn't have to be a one-off, but one particular reason why I wanted to ask him on today was because this is the first podcast since we've done since the passing of Colin Bell, who you may or may not know, and I'll, this isn't about a plug because I don't get anything from selling this, but that was the autobiography, if you're watching this on video, uh, that I wrote with Colin called um, Reluctant Hero, and to begin with, I'd just like to say that if you haven't already seen the, the um, for want of a better expression, the eulogy that I did for Colin on the Forever Blue YouTube channel, then I urge you to go over and have a look at it. It's about 10 minutes long and it's a couple of personal stories uh, and, and also a little bit about him at, you know, as, a, as a player. But more importantly, really, from my perspective as a man, because for about 18 months, I used to go over to his house every day and, uh, and sit with him and listen to him chat and we talked about all sorts of things but of course mainly about football and we came up with uh, with the book which I hope is a fair reflection of Colin's personality and I certainly think that Reluctant Hero is a perfect title for what Colin was um, but he was a magnificent footballer too and, and I'll tell you just one little story um, which to me sums him up as a person uh, not, not as a footballer um, perhaps Royal wax lyrical about what a great footballer he was. I did see him at his peak. I also saw him after his injury. Uh, and then I got to know him as a person after that. And when I was writing the book, I was very concerned that it was right. And we went through a long, long process, which I won't go into here. But eventually when I got to the end of it, I, re I read him the book. Um, I went to his house and over the course of a couple of days, I sat there and, and read it to him. And uh, when I read the first chapter about growing up, um, he actually, and he was a very unemotional person generally, or certainly outwardly, um, he actually cried, which um, which staggered me really, that he was so moved by it, which told me I was doing something right. Uh, when I got to the end of the book, by then, um, he'd, he'd sat there quietly listening for some time. And I said, so is that okay then, Colin? Are you happy with that? And he said, uh, yeah, yeah, it's very good, that. 
And because he was a man of few words and, and didn't really express it, I'm thinking, well, what's he really thinking here? And I said, so it's absolutely fine, is it? And he said, yeah, it's very good, that, very good. And then there was a little pause and he went, but, and I went, oh, well, right, okay. And I mean, my stomach's going over inside, thinking, right, rewrite here and a couple of chapters I'll have to do again. And I said, yeah, yeah, okay. I got my notepad out. I actually got my notepad out and a pen. And I went, right, okay. Um, do you want to tell me, tell me the bits that you thought? He said, well, there's just one thing, really. And I said, yeah, yeah. Took the pen out, got the nib out and everything. And he said, um, you haven't mentioned that I like Sudoku, uh, the numbers puzzle in the papers. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I really like it. And I, and I do one of them every day. So I said, right. He said, apart from that, it's perfect. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, so he said, can you include that in the book? So I said, yeah, yeah. So obviously when I went home that night, I got the computer out and I went, so I found a, a relevant chapter and I wrote a sentence in there. So if you ever read the book, um, you'll find a sentence where he says, and, and I also like to do the Sudoku puzzles. And <laughs> I thought... That was just just summed him up really as a person, uh, as a human being, as as being humble, um, about uh, and and about his odd, you know the ordinariness of his life in the nicest possible way. Got a lovely family, and and I personally am going to miss him as a as a human being as much, if not more, actually, than as a former player, which I know is the way that most people will relate to him, and I, I feel very honoured to have got to know him in the, the latter part of his life now Roy you you knew him um, at the peak of his of his life when he was a player when he was the Nijinsky that we all know you were also there the night when he got that terrible injury so I just wonder whether you could tell us some of your tales of, of Colin Bell and, and and about that night perhaps to conclude or, or towards the end of that yeah um well I, jo I joined the club in 69 70 and uh you know, I was blessed to um, be an apprentice there. And uh, unfortunately, my, my career was cut very, very short. But um, Colin was one of the instigators, along with Franny and, and Bucky and uh, uh, Summerby, to, to, to get me back to the club. Uh, to say I was devastated that I couldn't play football anymore was an understatement, you know. And um, they sent me a telegram saying they want me to come back and have a chat with Malcolm and Joe. I've got a long story short, they wanted me to um, come back to the football club and look and look after the first team, i.e. doing all the kit and um, preparing for games, cleaning boots, this, that and the other. But when I was an apprentice, um, I had to look after Cole's boots, number 11 he was, his, his training kit, alongside Doyley and um, Oki. And uh, I can always remember about, it was about the third day. You had to knock in them days to go into the dressing room. Um, if you didn't knock, you get a couple of boots thrown at you and said, get out and wait, wait for this shout come in. Anyway, I knocked on the door and uh, I always, ma always made sure my boots was absolutely perfect. If not, big day viewing. I just throw them on the floor and kick a load of dirt on them. And uh, I put it next to his peg and Cole was sat there and uh, Doily and Oki was on the other side. And I put, put the boots down just under his feet and I said, there you go, belly. And I got such a thump in the side of my head off Doily. He says, it's Mr. Bell to you, not belly. <laughs> and I thought, well, there we go. That's a great start with him. But uh, 
I was lucky enough to go back to the club and um, I travelled the world with them. And they became um, not just great footballers, and a, but it was a proper, how can I say, it was a proper family atmosphere. You know, they looked after me and I looked after them in a simple way. Um, wherever we travelled, uh, they would look after me. I mean, I was still a young lad. It was a, I was probably 20, 22. And um, they looked after me as like their own son. That's hit some unfortunate time with having to pack up. And I can always remember going to my first away game, which was in London. And um, we used to get the train down to London. And Colin, uh, I think it was Colin Franny, says, you jump in the taxi with us with all the kit. And we got the kit on the, on the, on the train. It was travel first class, but I'd, I'd not been in first class in my life. And we all sat down for dinner, all sat down for lunch. It was all nicely laid out. And I, I just didn't know what to order. Cole says, leave it with me. I'll sort it all out. So we ordered uh, my food. And we travelled down to London, which was fantastic. And then um, we, we stopped at this hotel called the Waldorf Hotel. It was just, like, unbelievable. So we'd go in for afternoon um, cakes and, and tea and what have you and then we'd report back down after about seven o'clock for evening meal and I'd sit next to Carl or Oki um I could sit next to any of them but I just didn't know what to order I just didn't so I thought if I if I have a look what Carl's eating I won't go far wrong so we ordered a prawn cocktail and a steak and ice cream and I thought that'll do me Carl said well you eat well Roy don't you and I went I'm just making sure I'm, I'm not stepping off, off, off line here. Um, and after that, we, uh, we all toddled off to the pitches uh, in taxis. After we came back, we had something else to eat. And um, it was great travelling with them in, you know. It was great. Um, I always remember, Col. I see, I read, I read about pre-match meals that they all eat now. And uh, I always remember Col's pre-match meal. It was uh, a fillet steak on its own at 12 o'clock. And then a bowl of um, rice pudding with a, a dollop of uh, uh, straw, strawberry marmalade on the top. And I thought, how can you eat that and start running about after it? But he did. And then we found out of the scientists, sports scientists, it wouldn't get digested till about half past five. And he was still running about with this in his stomach. <laughs> but uh, yeah, going back to what he said, in about him, you know, he was. Uh, I've become very close to him, you know, um, especially when he was. Um, I can remember the night he got injured, you know, I was sat on the bench and Fred, Freddie Griffiths was the physio then, and uh, and it was an horrendous tackle, uh, no getting away from it. Nobody made a big fuss at our lads, and it seemed during the game that when we carried him off. It was though the energy had just been taken away from United because I think they realised that something drastic had happened in that night with Colin getting injured. That, and when I came onto the pitch with Fred, um, his leg was huge. I always remember that the back of his leg was huge, and I couldn't get my head round. Anyway, we carried him off, and um, he immediately went to hospital. And um, I got very close to the consultant that um, looked after Cop in his early stages, a uh, lovely chap. 
he's no longer with us. And uh, the first thing he had to do was drain just over three pints of blood out of the back of his leg, you know. And so this is this is not going to be a, a a quick job. This 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 injury that Colin's got because blood is very very irritable in and around the joint. And I've heard Colin many of his interviews say his knee was like a rusty joint because of the blood congealing around the joint. He could never he could never get full flexion in his knee, even though um, we put him under anaesthetic three or four times and bent his leg fully. When he come out of the anaesthetic, he just couldn't do it. No matter what we did, uh, we went through. You know, the early days of his early days of his um, rehabilitation. I used to uh, drive and pick him up about quarter past eight in the morning, where he used to live in Hale, and then pick him pick him up after his breakfast. Um, sometimes helping to get ready because he was in. You know, he was in a bad way. He couldn't put any socks on, so I put socks on for him and, and helped Marie get him ready. And they get in the car and we're taken to the ground and we do the early rehabilitation with the quadriceps and things like that. And then in the afternoon, I take him home. Um, and then gradually we built it up where we were working three times a day. We had to pick him up in the morning, bring him into the ground. We do the morning session of rehabilitation and treatment. And then in the afternoon, we specialise in doing some flexion work and, and gradually it built up where we was pounding the roads of, of Moss Side late at night with Fred. And I've got to say, it's the fittest I've ever been in my life because I could never keep up with him. Freddie was always dragging behind me and I was saying, come on, we've got... And, and Cole was just flying along all the time. And what was amazed of it was he never got a sweat on. Never, his shirt was never wet. We was absolutely soaked through with sweat when we got back to the ground. And we did everything, I think. When I look back, I'm thinking, could we have done anything else? You know, we worked at his flexion, worked at his extension, and we could never get that last little bit. Even like, we'd have people coming in because Fred knew a lot of celebrities. And the, the club, because the club was quite relaxed in that way, they were allowed sometimes for us to treat them. And I always remember a guy called Jonah Barrington, who was the number one in the world at squash. He had a bit of an ankle injury and Fred says, would I look after him in the afternoon? I said, yeah. I said, at the end of the day, we got this kid right and he played in the squash competition and won it. And he came back to, to just to say thank you. And he says, is there anything that we can do? And me and Fred had spoken about it. And he said, uh, why, don't we, why don't we get him on the court with Jonah and just see if he's any good at squashing, you know? And he, I'm going back to what people say about him. He, was, he could do everything. I wasn't surprised that Jonah Barrington got on the tee and he was telling him just how to play in the next, in the next 15 minutes. He was playing balls like you'd never think he was. A, he'd been on the squash court. He was just unbelievable. And it was the same with tennis. It was the same with golf. It was the same with when we was on pre-season. If we was if we was going out and we had a free night, we'd go out and have a couple of drinks. We'd have a game of darts. He'd be hitting triple twenty and double twenty and just thinking nothing of it. And we were thinking, is this is this bloke? Is there anything he can't do? It was just. Um, You'll bear in it, mind how he's been compared, and I 
in my tributes have said he's, in my opinion, he was Kevin De Bruyne, David Silva and Yaya Torre rolled into one. Um, I didn't see perhaps as many of his greatest games as you did, Roy, and obviously talking about his other, his all-round ability. Yeah. You've already given us quite an insight there, but how, how would you rate Colin? I mean, are, would are we over-egging, over-egging I, him now? Or? Yeah, when I look at Kevin De Bruyne, I think, yeah, he's, he's like Cole. He's just like Cole. He can run up and down. His squirt rate never stops. His passing ability is unbelievable. But Cole could head the ball as well. You know, he'd often say, just knock it to the far post and I'll be there. And he, and he could do that. He could run all day. And I've, I've seen him on, on Monday mornings when we've been to Wittage Park, just leading the field and and just bombing along and pulling everybody along with him. You know, I saw, I saw him one night at, at um, Main Road and he was doing a thing for um, Kellogg's Tony the Tiger. It was an advertisement. And they put five rings up. And it was the first time I'd seen it. I mean, it's quite, they do it a lot now in, in training. But it was quite obvious, and, and Cole, Cole walked past me in the dugout, and he said, this won't take long, this. And he just got five balls, and he went, ping, 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 ping. And he said, that's a take, that. And off he went, simple as that. He was just unbelievable. But such a lovely, lovely chap. And I think that's, you know, um, he's part of our City family, Cheesy, you know, and, I mean, a lot of City fans, they do look after each other and I've seen it on on uh, Twitter and I've seen it on Facebook. You know, if they're going through bad times, City fans tend to stick together and help them out through difficult times. And, and I know with all my friends that have, you know, lost Cole, they're deeply, deeply hurting because he was something special to us, you know. Absolutely. Well, maybe we'll have to sit down and have another chat, Roy, away from this podcast and get some more thoughts of your time in that era. Um, obviously, you saw him play. Did you see him play, Paul? I mean, did you ever uh, see Colin Bell? I, I I will have done. If I'm being honest, I will have done. I was born in 69, so, you know, I, I, I think, as I said, I've said this before, I, I can remember one game, but, I couldn't tell you. All I can say is this, that my dad died at 84. Um, he was a lifelong City fan, as his granddad was, blah, blah, blah. Um, he, he, Every player that he'd ever seen that I'd watched with him was rubbish. Absolute bloody rubbish, as he'd say. <laughs> he was comparing him to Colin Bell. He said there's not one player after Colin Bell that'll be fit to lick his boots. Um, he died a few years back, my dad, so we never got to see Kevin De Bruyne play. I know for a fact he'd have sat there and gone, not as good as Colin Bell, though. I know for a fact. <laughs> I know for a fact. And obviously you've got no memories of him, Harlan, but I know in your family you've still heard about Colin Bell a lot, haven't you? Yeah, um, my granddad obviously born in born in 1939, so my granddad's just turned 82, and um, my granddad's always been a very very passionate, knowledgeable football fan, um, someone that's watched Latics through some of the best era uh, eras that they've had, and remembers very vividly watching City in that era that Colin, uh, Mike, um, Mike Doyle, um, you know, Franny Lee. 
and that amazing team that won the league, that won the European Cup Winners' Cup, etc., etc. And it's one of them things, I think. I think Colin's name is one of those things that, um, right now, I mean, not to, not, to, not to mention it, but right now we're talking about vaccines an awful lot. Now, that was something that's injected into every City fan from birth, the name Colin Bell. It's probably the most famous old-school footballer's name, even among many fans of other clubs. When you talk about players of, a, of an older era, Colin's mm. name always comes up into the conversation. And I think that, that speaks volumes for the man he was and the player he was as well. Um, your comparison of Cole, um, from what I've seen of him, makes an awful lot of sense to people my age, 27, and it makes a lot of sense to me. When you look at what people usually do when they talk about the perfect player and they'll talk about heading ability of such a body and, you know, the aerial ability of this player and the agility of that and et cetera, et cetera. And with you comparing him to a combination of the three players that you've mentioned, I think that's a really incredible and sensible way of looking at it in the fact that, and, and in, a, in, a, in, a, in a mad way, it, it almost speaks more volumes than than anything, the fact that he's three players in one. Now, when you were saying that, you were more talking about the attributes them players had compared to the attributes he had. But when you're talking about three players coming into one to become one man, and all three players are arguably up there as three of our best ever players in their own right, and Cole's a combination of all three, that clearly shows you that he must have been some player. And from what I've seen of him, from what I've seen of him face-to-face, -face, I met him as a nine-year-old in hospitality, my first ever game at the Etihad, Norwich at home, one-all draw. And my mum took me. I've explained this story on the, on the vlog. I walked into hospitality and I knew who he was straight away. Um, him, uh, Skip, both came over, uh, sat down with me. And as you can probably gather, um, I'm an analytical guy now. I can talk and I could talk at nine. And one thing Cole said to me mum, thinking I wouldn't have clicked on was, wow, this lad can hold the conversation, can't he? I really enjoyed sitting here and chatting to him. Um, <laughs> and you could see they were like, like uh, Gary Owen does um, still, I think, you know, doing the comparing and walking around hospitality and hosting events, etc. And... Um, being the compare and they were only supposed to nip to each table for, for, you know, a minute or two and give out a gift for the, for the people whose birthday it was and just say a few words and shake hands and then move on. And Colin Skip pulled up a, a chair and spoke to me for, for five, 10 minutes. Um, because I was talking about games. I was talking about Willow flood. Uh, that's how long ago it was. And uh, <laughs> saying how excited I was to be at my first game. And I met him again, after the Fulham game back in January 2019, and I spotted him from about 30 metres away. I think I was with John Baker and, uh, and Andy, actually, after the match, talking to them before we did the, the pod in the um, media suite. And Kieran was with me, who you've met, Ian. And uh, mm -hmm. Kieran, obviously, is someone that I took under my wing. His dad was a massive blue. We sadly lost his dad. And, um, and Kieran's always looked up to me, and he's always been a, a massive blue. And he, he knew who Colin was, but I said, hey, I look here and there's Colin Bell like that. And he turned around and went, how the hell did you spot him from that far away? And I said, it's just a presence, isn't it? It's just the way he walks. It's just the way he, he is, that, that presence he carries. And the fact that he was, he had a, he had a stick and he was just, he was just walking with that. that 
now you'd call it um maybe you call it an arrogance now but it's, it wasn't an arrogance we call it, it was just that that aura that he brings where <laughs> people were constantly as soon as he come out people wanted to be there with him and we walked over and i said um hey cole can have a picture and he says um he says yeah boys don't worry about it though I, uh, you can have one but i'm i'm in a bit of a rush i think he had to be somewhere and i says are you sure we'll leave it if you want we'll we'll, we'll do it again I'm so glad I, I didn't wait to do it again because I've not seen him since. Um, and I'm glad we seized the day and had the picture with him. And I'm so glad that he was willing to wait around and have the picture with us. And it's the picture I'd put on Twitter the night that we sadly lost him, or the day we sadly lost him. And to meet him as a nine-year-old was one thing. To meet him as a 27-year-old man was another. So the start of my city journey and halfway through my city journey, so to speak, I met Colin Bell. And he's someone that I'll make sure that my children, when I have them, We'll know about, we'll hear about, and his name will definitely be spoken about in my family, right down the bloodline. I spoke to him last on Christmas Day. Um, he'd been in hospital uh, quite a bit during the tail end of last year, and I know he hadn't been well, really unwell. And I'd been reluctant to ring him, and I spoke to his son, John, and he said, listen, just leave it a few days, you know, because I think he needs a bit of peace now he's out of hospital. And I thought, shall I ring him on Christmas Day, which was something I regularly did over a regular well either he rang me or I rang him and I rang him um, I was actually going to visit my dad's grave because he passed away a few months ago and I spoke to him and he, he he I said I'm really sorry to bother you Colin and he said you can ring me anytime you want as far as I'm concerned you, you know you're a close friend so don't ever think that and I said what well, how, how are you doing and he said oh I can't tell you how happy I am to be Looking forward to my grandkids coming today on Christmas Day and enjoying Christmas Day with them. John put a picture up, which I've retweeted since, of Colin sat there at the dinner table on Christmas Day with his grandchildren. And um, that, that I don't mind admitting that that made me cry when I saw that. And um, and that's that's the memory I want to remember of, of Colin. Um, I, I hope it's just such a pity that the fans haven't had a chance to properly pay their tribute because I think at Old Trafford which we'll we'll get onto the football in a second that that was played uh, you know very close to, to his passing and uh, it would have been nice if the you know the fans at that away ground would be able to sing his name and you know um, properly pay tribute to him and then perhaps at, at the game against Birmingham in the FA Cup the whole ground could have been you know, covered in Colin Bell shirts, etc. Um, j- just such a pity. And his funeral, well, I'm lucky enough to be able to go to that in spite of the numbers of that will be very limited. Uh, and it's just a pity that more people won't be able to, not necessarily go to the funeral, but at least be able to show their um, respect for him on that particular day. But if it's any consolation, and it's only a small consolation, um, I, I, in my mind, I will be representing every City fan uh, when I'm there that day um, so you'll all be I know it sounds I am called Cheeseman and everything but it sounds a bit cheesy to say it but but I will have everybody in my heart and I will feel as if I'm representing everybody that day uh, when I'm there um, and, and speaking of that Manchester United game I mean obviously we saw people create these sort of montages of graphics of Colin looking down over Old Trafford after that victory, do you, do you think that the the victory at Old Trafford was was any different than it would have been? Was it, you know, do you think the player, the modern footballers, would have? I mean, I know they said all the right things after the game, but do, do you think that that they went out there and thought, "Come on, this one's for Colin"? I'd, I'd like to think that, wouldn't you? 
Ian, I just want to say on that, definitely without a shadow of a doubt, um, especially especially the players that have got that internal desire and what what I'm not saying they have the same level that Cole had. Obviously, Roy Roy's probably more qualified than any of us. Well, you as well. The um, to say what Colin had internally, only he really knows what his drive and what his real motivation for playing was. Um, you could see it evidently on the, that he was a dedicated professional, someone that really genuinely loved playing football, <clears throat> doing the rough and tough and dirty stuff as much as the elegant stuff. Because at the end of the day, you can have all the skill in the world without the heart, desire and, and genuine uh, will to play football at the best of your ability. It, it, you know, the, the skill goes to waste. So I think the players like De Bruyne, Hirokai, Gundawans, listen, every player in that squad has got heart and desire to play. Whether fans believe that Mendy and Mares and whoever else they don't like nowadays don't want to play and aren't bothered about playing for City, regardless of what you think, every player in that squad has desire and heart to play football. Otherwise, they would have never have made it out of the academy side that they were playing for when they were younger. They would have never, ever managed to keep up a career as a professional footballer. And you can't lie that. Some players have robbed a living, <laughs> but you know they're, they're the players that get found out. But um, in terms of players like De Bruyne, players that wear their heart on the sleeve during games, them players would have felt the passing of Colin, regardless of whether they're Mac boys or whether they're people that were born in England. Or As soon as you join City, and it's something that I'd like to think still happens now, especially under Pep, with him being quite a traditional manager, someone that's been brought up in Spain, Barcelona, a similar type of club with a lot of tradition, a manager and a head coach that would have educated the players before that game, maybe in, in a behind closed doors situation and said, you know, th this player, Colin Bell, was a massive player for this football club. Somebody that would have gone out in a derby and left no blade of grass untouched. Um, those of you that have that mentality internally, you go out and do exactly the same as that. Um and I don't even think he'd have had to tell some of them. I genuinely think that some of them players put that extra bit in because sometimes a player can perform very well and use almost a full tank and not squeeze that extra bit out of the uh, the petrol canister, Paul. But uh, I reckon every player would have done that night and that is what got us that second goal. And I genuinely think that Colin was there in spirit mm. and we won that derby with a lot more intensity than we maybe would have done had we not have lost him. Not saying that losing him was, you know, don't misinterpret that, but I think that it genuinely would have played a huge part in the way that we performed with heart, desire and the uh, the flair as well. I know, Roy, that because I obviously follow you on Twitter and see what you say about games. I know the passion you've got and you can be quite critical sometimes. And uh, you, you are a proper blue. What did you think of that performance at Old Trafford? I mean, I... I actually think it's a bit of a turning. I think it's a bit of a turning point winning there. Uh, psychologically. Psychologically, I don't. I don't. I totally agree with Alan. What he's just said, you know. Um, Pep demands that. I would think Pep demands a certain level, and if you drop below that level, you get found out. And Colin, when he was at City, was he was absolutely totally totally committed. Every single day he came into training, he would be like, I would think, Kevin De Bruyne, put everything into a game. And they do respect people like that. I do respect people like that. You know, many, many footballers cannot reach that level every single day. It's, it's hard work. It's total commitment. 
the more and more you look into football these days, it's about your diet, the way you live, the way you eat, the way you sleep, the way you rest. And it's all, it's all pulled together to make sure you get to that level every single day for training, every single game you go out, you've got to perform at that level. And I think Colin could have done that quite easily. He would be one of those players that you would think, well, he's got to be in my team. The same with like Kevin De Bruyne. Oh, but I'm, you think sure, I'm sure I'm sure Pep used uh, the passing of Colin. He would have mentioned it and he took it on board very, very nicely and said, listen, we need to, we need to go out and produce something especially for this kid because he was something special to this football club. And, and which they did uh, at the end of the day. I think they, they just they, they put on a beautiful performance for him. Where, where he was looking down from, he must have thoroughly enjoyed it. Go on, Paul, what do you make of the derby? Uh, I just, this is one of the really disappointing things. Obviously, there's plenty of disappointing things, but um, I lost a pal last week. Um, he was probably, to me, like what Colin Bell was to the players around him. We had that kind of bond. We were, we were good pals. The, the annoying thing is, is that we can't go and pay our respects to these people. You know, you miss somebody's wedding. Well, you look at the photographs. You, 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 you miss, you know, you, you miss a Christmas or a birthday card or something. You miss somebody's funeral. You can't reenact it. It's, it's that moment. It's that spur of the moment. Uh, and, and you want to be there now. You know whether it's whether it's you know lining the route that the the, the entourage will be taking, whether it's just knowing that you know you can stand outside where you work or something, just pay your respects that way. And we can't do that because of this 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 COVID nineteen, and and it and it's kind of taking that. I feel awful because I kind of think you're like letting them down because you're not going to be there. You kind of think that um, you know I, I want to pay my respects. But you can't get near the place, and it's it's that opportunity we can never do again. Because I know, on uh, midweek when we played United, I know for a fact for ninety minutes the City fans that have been singing, you know, calling the King and and and, and number one, we would have got right through to about three thousand and twenty, um, because we were we would have been that ground would have been buzzing that night. And United fans, you know, I think things have have got much better and. Nothing's been said about Colin Bell. Nothing bad's been said about him. Um, even, you know, from everywhere. Not that you, you wouldn't expect it, but it, it's been a beautiful shared uh, loss, I think, over Manchester. Because, you know, City as well, we, we, we respect each other's club legends. Um, and, and Colin Bell was definitely one of them. Um, you know, a quick story about Colin. I was, um, I was at that same night, um, Harlan, you know, when you... you, you Went running out, you've been talking to him and everything. Yeah. On his way out, Colin came up to us. He said, Paul, he said, I've been talking to Gary Neville for the last 27 minutes. You won't shut up. Probably wouldn't have got as much sense out of Gary Neville, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the performance then? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, uh, the, the fact that City won so convincingly at Old Trafford, I know a year ago, in the first leg of the semi-final, City won very convincingly in that one as well. And a lot of people have been saying that the performances have been getting better. Diaz and Stones being the perfect partnership at the moment. Um, 
I personally thought that the performance at Old Trafford, um, the, the man of the match was Fernandinho. And we've been saying on this podcast for some time that, well, certainly I have, perhaps I shouldn't label everybody in the same opinion, that Fernandinho in that holding midfield role um, is being missed with Rodri in that position. Uh, it's not that I'm anti-Rodri or I'm really having a go at Rodri. I think the extra touches that he takes, um, the slowness of, of the way that he plays, uh, and the lack of vision going forward and incisiveness is a huge difference to the way Fernandinho is playing. And I, I also personally think if you look at Pep Guardiola's uh, teams that he's managed, Philip Lahm being a great example when he was at Bayern Munich, a player he converted from fullback to play in that exact position. That is such a key position in, in a um, Pep Guardiola team. Now, obviously, he's got great players all over the pitch and they're so good that most of the time they can beat everybody at a stroll as they did against Birmingham, you know, in the FA Cup. But when it comes to the really big games, it feels to me as if that is absolutely crucial. Now, did he pick Fernandinho for that game because he agrees with me? Did he just rest Rodri and bring Fernandinho in for a game? Only he can answer that question. But to me, um, Fernandinho's performance at Old Trafford against a team who were joint, who are tight joint top of the Premier League, also on a very good run at the moment, although we're all sort of dismissing them and saying, ah, the wheels will fall off and all the rest of it. The fact is that they are one of the best sides in the Premier League at the moment, and they were on a bit of a roll confidence-wise. So going there and winning was a big, big statement, I think. And Fernandinho was the biggest part of that statement to me. Yeah, 100%, Ian. Um, I think that what I said before the game rang true. I think what Paul said, I think me and Paul were on the same page on Twitter even. I think I'd put what I'd said. Paul had also said it a couple of weeks after. Um, that performance-wise, we are head and shoulders above them. Um, for me, I see United as quite an improvisational side where Ollie will make changes during a game to get by. And getting by for them is okay for now because... To get by and be in the top four for them is 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 okay for them. To get by for us, to get by for us today against Birmingham wasn't good enough for Pep. For Oli to get by in the league and, and finish top four, he's buzzing me that. With Birmingham in a game that we're winning three 0 and Pep's still not happy with us getting by in that game. Um, that's the difference. We outperformed them in that game overall this season, even in games we've drawn and lost. We've outperformed United. The performances, there's a system, there's a style, there's a real um, strict way of playing. And sometimes, and I'm sure Roy will agree, that's been our downfall. We overplay sometimes, we play ourselves out of fantastic opportunities because it's so strategic. Nine times out of ten, it'll work. With United, they've got a system that doesn't work. Therefore, he'll start with the system. He'll end up tweaking it six or seven to the game, coming away with a win. And everybody thinks that they played fantastic because they've won 2-0. No, you've changed your system three or four times in a game. You've changed your formation three times to get by. You will get found out. They will not finish in the top four, especially not second, um, because you you can only ride on that for so long before the real quality in class starts to show. Um, and, and and that's the way I think I think the game went. Just on Diaz, Ian, um, I, I put a tweet out after the game and uh, it was like an acrostic that I wrote on Twitter. Paul, you might have seen it, mate. I wrote Ruben Diaz going down, and I wrote... I know what acrostic is, but I haven't a clue what acrostic is, so you'll have to enlighten me on that one, Alan. So I wrote Ruben Diaz going down. I wrote, replace at the right time. 
understands the game, blocks superbly, energy levels limitless, never gives up, dedicated professional, intelligent in both phases, aerial commander, sound as an absolute pound, our absolute warrior. That is in his name, and that is exactly what he's got within him as a centre-half. If somebody can do what he did in a derby and do Vinny-type stuff, I'm not going to use the word S that I used the other night because I wouldn't swear on this podcast. I wouldn't do such a thing. But if you do Vinny-type stuff for me in a Manchester derby, you, my friend, are going to go on to big things. And at 23-year-old, to see someone with that dedication, professionalism and mentality in a game that you've really got to get as a City player, he gets it. He got it. He surely got it. And it was a great performance. And I said about Merrick on the night that he first played at home in January 2018, it must have been, that we've signed somebody that, for me, is the best centre-half since Vinnie Company. This guy's up there as well, and it's between them two. And Laporte is not playing at the moment, not because he isn't good enough, because Stones is playing well, and Diaz is keeping him out of the team, and Pep doesn't want to play a back three. That's the only reason why he's not getting in the team. He's injured. He, he missed the, the Yeah, the game well, the injury as well. But he's injured, so. <laughs> when, he's fit, when he's fit. Oh, yeah, and the injury. <laughs> um, I, I, I think, um, basically, we, we, we showed United up for what they are, I think, when we played them. Um, we, we, we did what every other team does normally. We, 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 we attack and we attack and we attack them. They threw the kitchen sink at us for a little bit. We scored, the, we scored the goals. We banged the ball in the back of the net. Second half, we came out and just said, right, we're going to play two rows of four here. Come and, come and get round us. United, unless they get dodgy penalties or you know VAR decisions and stuff, they haven't got the creativity in midfield to get anywhere round our rock-solid defence because that's what it is now. We have got an amazing defence. Um, I'm sure I heard a stat today um, saying it was the best defence in the league, as it may be. I, I, I don't know. I, I thought I heard that. Yeah. Um, in that, that, by the way, was in between the terrible BBC player commentary of the game today, but I'd love to come on to that later. Um, and and, and we, we, just, we just literally shut the defence and come and have a go at his United. They can't they have a clue. Could not get anywhere around our defence. And that is United. They, 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 they're not as up front, they're nowhere near us. Um, they're good at diving, that, they're better than that than us. Um, they're nowhere near us from front to back. And that showed exactly perfectly in that game midweek that that is where the clubs are at. We, we, we were like eating caviar. They were on fish and chips. Feel free, Paul, to have your say on anything you want. So if you've got something to say <laughs> about the commentary, you say it. It's, you know, it's free, free, free speech here. Right. This has been my real thing that's annoyed me today. Um, the game was on the BBC iPlayer. It, it, I mean, I'd, I had to go on the internet to work, you know, for somebody to tell me how I get that. I can do this kind of thing, but... Getting on the iPlayer, I had to register that I got a TV license. It was an absolute nightmare. Anyway, we get it on, and to my absolute enjoyment, Steve McManaman, woman's not commentating on it. Clyde Tilsley or Ian Dark. There's a young lady. I'm not. You know what? I don't even know her surname. I think she's Me called too. Vicky. Me too. Um, I think she's called uh, Vicky. 
Listen, this, the, let's not go down the road of sexism or anything like this. I'd be saying this, and if you go on Twitter, there's a big debate on this at the moment, and I, I, there's plenty of people agreeing with me more than anybody else. And that, that commentary today was pure BBC box ticking at its best. Um, the, the girl might be a lovely girl. People are saying she was articulate. Fantastic. It's one thing... Being articulate, I mean, I can I can be articulate when one wants to, but you are what you are. She, she her commentary today was dead, 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 sort of like non-biased. You know, normally we get this bit of a a commentary against a, a, a bit of an agenda. We seem to think she had lovely stats. It was amazing stats she put in, and you know, loads of observations. So she wasn't your like Ian Dark, you know. Oh, this 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 defender costs sixty five million. You know how much his boots are sponsored for? Twenty two point nine million. And if he stays on for another half a season, he's he's you know he's going to get extra uh, money for his shoelaces. We're not interested in that. People watching that game. People watching your that box game. office. You. I thought oh, Andrew Bucknell was box office. <laughs> you are box office. Something's happened to you, Paul. <laughs> People are watching that game. Most people watching that game are City fans. So we, we're on there. We know how much our team costs. We know how good such a body is. Put the, put the commentary on and just go. Now, Ian, you'll know this because you're an ex-BBC commentator and they need to get you on a course or something and teach them how to do it properly. Because they sit there and they tell you how much the players are worth and this anyway. Just tell us and... Uh, uh, KDB is on the ball. He passes it in a triangle to so you know that sort of Ian can do it better than me. Obviously, I'm not a commentator, but just do that. Create as an image. So when our brains doze off, staring at the screen, the commentary is there, building that mental image for us. So we're sat watching the game. She's piping on about how many uh, you know trainers are people over here with 23. Then we've got a sidekick, Stephen. Don't even know Warnock. his name. Warnock. Warnock, that's him. Oh my god. The the <laughs> the box ticker for this one was being a scouser. He was being a scouser. He's come I, I don't know his playing career. I've heard of his dad, Neil. I've never heard of Stephen though. And he was coming up with stats. He was saying, Oh, that's a terrible challenge Diaz has just made. Oh, he nearly cut through him. It was an absolutely brilliant. Tackle. Textbook he did tackle. give. Listen, he did give David Silver a lot of credit when he, he scored that goal. Yeah, yeah he yeah, did. To be fair, yeah. yeah. It's that new airpiece. It, it looks like David Silver used to look slightly, <laughs> but honest. Uh, and they got the names of players wrong, which Ian's just uh, alluded to. Um, they, they were an absolute shambles. It was like uh, it, it was like a, a, a show off the uh, the fast show. A comedy sketch off that. I expect Paul uh, Whitehouse to be coming on next. It was a shambles. Um, now, this isn't because she's a woman. This isn't because he's a scouser. They were just rubbish. Absolute rubbish. And I don't know if it's because I'm not going to the matches and I'm missing going to the matches. I don't know if it's that. I'm having to watch more football on the telly. But I am going start raving mad watching the matches with these commentators. And I know we could say turn them off. That's great. We can all turn it, turn it off. But it's part of the atmosphere for me. I like to sit, hear that commentary. I ain't getting it. Come back, Ian Cheeseman and Gerald Sinstat. 
that's what I can say. Right, there were tears rolling down your <laughs> eyes. I noticed during that. What have you got? What have you? What can you add to that? I can't add anything to that. No, but going, back, going back to what Rod said, you know, I'm I'm a bit like you. I was going mad at the TV, but going back to what you said about the Derby game, you know, I'm so comfortable watching City, just so comfortable because I know that every angle will be covered. It does disappoint me when certain players just drop below that standard. And I think, why are you doing that? And that's what I mean, what I said before, about reaching that standard every single game. You know, Kevin De Bruyne, when he's, when he's on his game, he makes the, makes the game flow so evenly. And, and yet I can be on, I can be watching and think, why is Walker just keep passing that ball square? Why does he keep passing that ball? What does he, what's he creating down the right-hand side? And then he passes it over to Mendy and Mendy does the same. And that does my, you know, I think, come on, <laughs> you need to get forward. You just, but uh, no, I thought it was, I thought it was just a comfortable job against United. I don't think it causes any real problems. And, um, you know, we're gifted. Absolutely gifted to be watching this team uh, compared to how we were years and years ago. Um, they're like a breath of fresh air when they come on TV because they wear people down that much. And, that, and you can see the teams in banks of four or whatever they want to put there. If one goes out and the others don't follow, they just go round them and it's, they're in. It's just fantastic to watch. I was reminded about it on Twitter the other day. Remember our day? Remember the days you used to watch them, Roy, at Halifax and all the other days, and you know those those games when we played at Shrewsbury. And, oh, we'll beat them on any surface. When we get beat, we get turned over, and I get that horrible feeling in your stomach when you think, "Well, oh, this is City," you know. And I think, no, it's not City how it used to be. These are class players, you know. Have got a certain level they've got to reach all the time. If not, you get drifted out of the team, go elsewhere. Right, as a physio, your number one priority was a player's welfare. What do you make of Steve Bruce's comments in the last couple of days that in the middle of this pandemic, he feels it's immoral for football to continue because not only is the whole world on hold, but football's continuing on. But what if our player or a Sam Allardyce, he's mentioned it as well at his age in his 60s, was to get COVID as a result of it spreading around because they continue to play and to travel and somebody was to get either seriously ill or pass away. At the moment, the players, when they get it, they're out, it, it basically we all know or think we know as, as fans, oh, that just means he's out for 10 days. How frustrating. But then you expect them to come back. So Kyle Walker... And uh, Gabriel Jesus, who got uh, COVID two weeks ago, are now back. Uh, you know, and we expect Ferran Torres to be back soon. And at the moment, it's not had or doesn't appear to have had a, a serious effect on anybody. Do you think Steve Bruce and Sam Sam Allardyce have got points? Do you think football oh, is immoral to continue on? Well, of course, they've got points. I mean, um, you know, you see them on TV. People, people have been well. People have been fit and well. They've been running this, that, and the other. And all of a sudden, they get COVID, and within twelve days, they're laid up and they can't breathe, and they're fighting for their lives. And we're expecting these footballers to go into a situation, perform at the highest level, and be and be blessed not to pick COVID up. Now, when they pick um, COVID up, whatever degree it is. 
it must take so much out of the body. And then, you know, they're expected to come back. They come back in about, well, 10, 15 days. Um, but they're in a bubble. I understand all that, you know, but there's so much grief going on and so much heartache throughout the country. Um, football does give us a little bit of relief. You know, we enjoy watching it and, and all that sort of stuff. But God forbid anybody catches COVID in our team or any other team. And, uh, you know, they pass away. What what, what are we going to do about this? I mean, the, the government the government say, you know, we should look after people and, you know, not go out. But, uh, you know, at the Marine game today, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of people outside the ground. And, you know, unless we say we're going to stop it all and get on top of this COVID, we're, we're never going to suppress it at all. It's frightening. It's a killer. A friend, a friend of mine, uh, Mike Royce, I'll give him a mention because he, he will be listening. Um, it's done him. He's, he, yeah. he's, well, he's like myself. We used to play rugby together and he's an highly tuned athlete as I am alongside him. We, 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 we don't take it serious. You know, we, we no. just hear about, you know, all people getting it. My mate Rose, though, he's a, he's a fit lad. Yeah. His, his, his wife got it. His two kids got it. He got it. The three of them are okay. No symptoms. He's wiped him out. He, he's not. He's not been out of the house for three weeks. He ain't got the energy to walk. You know, he's he's aching all over. It's it's it's, it's a serious thing. And you know, I had a, a, a talking on Twitter earlier. People going about it's disgraceful that the you know the police are uh, um, are moving people on and threatening to arrest them for sitting on a park bench. And, you know that kind of thing. And it's like, well, you're not allowed to. So. What do we do? Do we just let people get on? No, we don't. We've, we've. It's a law. Whether you believe a mask is any good, it's going to stop anything. It's, it's been told to do it. So you know, you'll, you'll back me up on this scene in Germany. They won't cross roads, will they, when there's a red light on? You know, mm. there might not be a car come past for the next ten minutes. They will stand there until the light is green and they go across because they abide by them rules. We it's don't. One, in of the, one of the potential problems, though, is that. And I completely understand, and I've mentioned this before, and I'm not going to labour the point, but and I know it's doing the mental health of, of people watching football a lot of good because mm. it's keeping you, giving you something to watch. And maybe, and heaven help that this doesn't happen, but if, if suddenly a player got very seriously ill or, or a manager got seriously ill, maybe then everybody would look at this differently with hindsight and say it should have mm. never carried on. Absolutely. That's my worry. And on, on the other side of it uh, is, what about the sporting integrity? I mean, we saw Derby County beaten by Chorley. Now, in normal times, I've been watching the news reports and they're just sitting there on the news going, hey, brilliant, brilliant, you know, Chorley with a bin man of beaten. Yeah. And I'm thinking, but well, hang on a minute, they're playing Derby County's reserves, a youth team. You know, Aston yeah. Villa's youth team played Liverpool. Uh, Oldham Athletic played at Bournemouth when they'd been drawn at home. They played it at both. Well, if they'd have really wanted to win that and we'd have been in normal times, there's no way that they'd given up home advantage against Bournemouth no. just because there might have been a bit of dodginess about the pitch on mm. Saturday. They'd have just they'd have played on a dodgy pitch or they'd postponed yeah, it or whatever. Where's the sporting integrity if you win this FA Cup or, or you win this league? It's going to have a huge asterisk next to it, isn't it? I, I agree with that, Ian. Um, just one important point I want to make, and it's going to be one that's interpreted you can interpret how you want, but it's got to be interpreted in the manner that you 
you regular listeners would know that I would put the put this point across. Just to touch on the integrity side, Ian, Aston Villa have beaten Liverpool in the cup the last couple of years. They beat them in the League Cup last year. They beat them in the league this year. Nothing, you know, Dean Smith didn't want to have to play the squad that he played against Liverpool in the FA Cup third round. He would have loved his first team to go and beat them again. And I found, I would have fancied Grealish and the boys to beat them again uh, mm. with the current run of form that they're on. So he's had no choice but to play that squad. And therefore, the integrity has been, like you say, affected and disrupted. And it's like Villa may have gone on to... You know, we, we beat them in the in the final of the Carabao Cup last year. Villa might have gone all the way. Had they been able to get past Liverpool in that in that round? And they've had to almost kind of exit the cup by default. Now I'm all I'm all for for respecting the opponents and and I think Spurs did that, you know, professionally today. One difference is that the Spurs performance today is being touted as an absolutely fantastic professional performance. No disrespect towards Marina all, you know, the, the battered him in the second, in the first half and the way that Vinicius smashed the ball home, whether he was doing it out of aggression because he'd miscontrolled the ball or whatever. It almost seemed to me like, yes, I've scored against Marine. Do you know what I mean? There you go. There was your chance. You missed your chance and now I've took mine. Ah, And I thought, <laughs> well, when we beat Burton Albion 9-0, it was disrespectful. Um, but <laughs> I think the integrity of the competition has been affected. The FA Cup's been affected a hell of a lot with regards to this. And... Um, and, and it's, it's, it's a mad one, really, isn't it? But the main point is that going back to the COVID stuff, this is important to me, and it's something that I've thought about for a long time. Um, I appreciate how serious the situation is, and I completely get where all three are coming from with regards to the potential of, of, of having a player fall very ill and become very uh, poorly with this and it be a huge shock uh, across football and across sport. But for me, this is a relatively new virus, and we've had um, we've had Alzheimer's apparent within footballers for years. We've had dementia apparent within footballers for years. We've had players dying because, um, and Roy's probably very qualified to talk about this. There was always, and there have been at certain clubs, a lack of protocols in place with regards to screening players before season start, and some teams taking it more serious than others. Players dying of heart attacks, uh, fit players dying because something's not been picked up because the protocol wasn't correct. And I think if we're going to start um, moving the goalposts, if you want to call it that, now I don't mean this in a in a in a, in a disrespectful way. If we're going to start moving the goalposts and 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 going into the sporting world and moving things around for a new type of illness that's only become apparent now. Then maybe we should really seriously start looking at protocols to stop dementia, to stop Alzheimer's, or prevent them from happening. All this stuff with regards to heading footballs and concussion and everything. Why is all that being just uh, groundbreak, groundbreakingly spoken about now? Why? Why that's been apparent for years. And if we're going to start putting things into place to help prevent players from getting COVID and different uh, measurements and, and and protocols in place for that then surely it's a time to look at that and go, well, if we're going to do that, let's look at the overall health side of football and look at and sport and what else we can do to prevent um, illnesses within the sporting circle. I know we're talking about COVID right now, but that's only one type of illness that is circulating throughout sport right now. And it just feels to me like the mental health side, the Alzheimer's side, the the dementia side, the the the... Um, internal 
um, cardiovascular, uh, you know, health and and respiratory health side of the games and and within within competitive sport is being neglected. And COVID is the main focus right now for a lot of people. And I just I think, think I'd I think like to be on a level playing field. I think that's society in general, though, Harlan, isn't it? You know, if, if you know, years ago, you couldn't, you know, I couldn't get a business loan or anything like that. All of a sudden, COVID comes along. The banks are throwing money at your businesses, sponsored by the government. Um, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're a business and you stick COVID on a, on a sign or an advertisement or anywhere, at the moment, you, you're going to be big bucks. Um, that's how society is at the moment, unfortunately. And because, you know, I agree completely with you, Harlan, if, unless you nick some money out of the COVID fund, the money's not going to be passed down for all those other vital um, campaigns either. All good subjects, these. Um, thanks for making that point, Harlan. It's maybe it's something we'll talk about in the future. Um, I mean, you mentioned mental health, uh, Jeremy Whiston, of course, um, the young lad who killed himself after... Um, he didn't make it and couldn't cope with that. We assume it was as simple as that. I hope it, I'm not done him any disrespect by saying that. Uh, it's something that, that focuses the mind. I'm, I'm a big fan of Michael Johnson. When I've been comparing Colin to people recently, I said that Michael Johnson was the young player that came through at City that most re reminded me um, of Colin. You know, what a great midfielder he was and how, could he, how good he could have been. Um, but just on this subject, a very final question uh, before we end this podcast um, is that one of the suggestions that I've seen being made, I don't know how serious it is, is that football, Premier League footballers should be inoculated against uh, COVID, you know, jump the queue, so to speak, so that the, uh, the football can continue on. Um, I have to say I disagree with that completely. Um uh, the, but I, I have to respect all people's opinion, and this is only four of us, so I would say no, um, but, but what do you three think? I certainly think it's, it's nonsense that uh, for an athlete or somebody who's playing football just to jump in front of millions and millions of people that you know, have done so much for the country and, and defining the, the, the poorly at the moment, and we want to protect them, I think, um, you know, there's people out there that desperately need this this injection, uh, and uh, I think they should come first. Simple as that. I don't think football should just jump the queue, uh, jump the queue at all. Paul, um, yeah, I think it's a difficult president, and, and uh, it becomes an elitist injection, then, doesn't it? You know, where you're going to be able to get uh, celebrities will be able to buy the. Um, buy it, you know, from private companies, you'll be able to get it on eBay for, you know, £1,500 when you can get them for three quid. Um, absolutely not. You know, football clubs, yeah, of course, I know people argue, well, a club will buy the injections. It's like being in a village and having no food, yet feeding, feeding the monkeys so they can dance for you. It's it, it's just, it's the same as that, giving, giving the footballers an injection. It's... It's kind of, it, it stinks of a bit gladiatorial to me, you know, a bit sort of like, oh, you know, let's let's keep these athletes performing so us, us can make loads of money out of them. And it's wrong, that. That is, that is wrong. It's using humans as, you know, toys. It's wrong. It's certainly not happened yet. It's just something that I'd heard some fans talking about. So it might not happen. What about you, Alan, if it did? Ian, from a scientific perspective... It... I don't know. It's, very, it's a very confusing proposition that 
I was really shocked when I heard Dice talking about it, almost as if he was a scientist. And it, it almost kind of makes me think that, no offence to Sean, he's a very adept manager and he's somebody that's quite a bright guy. And he's got a degree, I think, hasn't he? And he's a very, very clever human being from what I can gather, as much as he talks like that and, um, you know, smokes for you day. Um, just for me, obviously he's a great guy and that, but he just, it almost makes me feel like it confused me more because we've been led to believe that this this illness will will affect those people with underlying health conditions, uh, those with uh, weakened immune systems. It will it will get into the bodies of those people that have got very good immune systems, but that that, that it will affect people with weaker immune systems and will fill the lungs up, fill the alveoli up, suffocate the lungs, and cause people to to develop liver failure, etc. And, 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 and that is how the, the virus, I, I believe, breaks you down. Um, therefore, footballers have surely got, and Roy will again, um, probably have an opinion on this, should have and definitely do have uh, better cardiovascular and respiratory organs. Um, you know, I've done a sports science oh, degree that's myself. That's a big word tonight, Alan, I've, hasn't I've, it? I've, I've done a sports science degree myself. I've studied, I've studied sports science for three years. I've studied sports rehab for a year. I'll know the physiology of the human body and footballers without a shadow of a doubt have or should have very good uh, systems, both of them. Therefore, why would you need to vaccinate a football player before somebody older with a weaker immune system um, when footballers will probably be able to shake the virus off? Now, if a footballer's got underlying health conditions, then that is when probably it would probably shock the world if a player was to become very, very ill from it and unfortunately um, potentially pass away from it. But to vaccinate the whole um, you know, population of footballers first doesn't make any sense with regards to the science that we've already been, been told. And the other thing as well is, surely with the vaccine being new and there being noticeable and publicly heard side effects right now, to potentially give a vaccine to sporting professionals that are paid a lot of money and that are a product at the end of the day, uh, as much as they are human beings, that play professional sport as a career, if the side effects were to become quite um, serious and for whatever reason reject the body that they're going into because that player has a certain type of immune system and a footballer was to pass away because of the vaccine, would there be as much upset raised because of that as there would be if a player was to pass away without a vaccine and passed away with COVID? And I think that the complications that this vaccine could cause yet and the lack of scientific um, development yet, because it's not been out there long enough, to vaccinate somebody that has a huge responsibility to play to play professional sport could be quite a risky thing to do right now. That's just from the other side. That's just to what, argue the other side of it. What happens, if a player, what happens if a player gets injected? Obviously, insurance companies and what have you gets injected with this new virus, which is very new virus um, vaccine. Sorry, what happens if he gets injected and then dies? Who's who's paying out on the insurance on that one? 
Well, we're going into a whole different area. We're going to a whole different area of conversation now. I don't want to get into. You're opening a tin of worms because. Yeah, I don't want to get into conspiracy theories of vaccines not working and sound effects. So we'll call it a day. Then I'm going to I'm going to finish this podcast um, by reading out a poem uh, which was sent to me by. Uh, a fan. Um, I had a long conversation with a Berry fan who rang me up the other day who wanted me to uh, to talk to me about Colin and told me some of his memories, which was a, a lovely long conversation. As you, some people will know, I've, I've spent a lot of time ringing people uh, during lockdowns and trying to help as much as I can for people who are lonely. In this instance, this guy rang me <laughs> rather than me ringing him. It was a Berry fan who I'd spoken to a long time ago when I was at the BBC. And it was a pleasure to speak to him. I wish I'd remembered his name. Uh, but today I got this, this poem sent to me by a fan. So I'm going to read it out to you. He doesn't know I'm going to do this. I hope he doesn't mind. It's called Colin the King. In days gone by, the Kipaks would sing songs about the greatest Colin the King. For those who've watched him, they will never forget his lung-busting runs and the ball bulging the net. Colin was the player I always wanted to be. When we, he ran with the ball, it felt like it was me. With style and with flair and with blistering pace, he covered the ground with such power and grace. Now he has passed and with us no more. For all of us fans who are blue to the core, his is the name we always will sing. So hail to the greatest, Colin the King. R.I.P. Colin, and that's from Ron Spivey. Thank you, Ron, for sending that. And uh, I think that's a good way to conclude this particular podcast. Thanks very much to Charles Louis, um, Mortgage Brokers, for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks very much to, to Roy for being our special guest today. I hope we can chat to you again soon, Roy, and maybe we'll do one that's just you and me chatting about the, some of your memories and your career, because I think that would be worthwhile in its own right. Uh, you're welcome to come on the podcast as well anytime you want. Thanks very much to Harlan. Not cats are the same about him. We'll boot him off next time. He's on every one at the moment. <laughs> and, uh, and, and thanks very much to Paul. And thanks to you for listening. And remember, it's always great to be a blue. <laughs>